Psalm 92, verse 1. Right away in the title, we see this is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And so I think in our introduction, we need to consider what is a Sabbath day? We see by this title, the psalm is based upon this. And really what it is, it's an attitude of the heart, especially during this time of the church age, the Sabbath. Now, the Jews were commanded to partake of the Sabbath. We see this in many places, Deuteronomy, um, but also in, in, in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in your dwellings. Now, there were a series of convocations commanded by the Lord. These convocations are the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, Blowing of the Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the Sabbath. And in the midst of all of these convocations, all these things that we needed to keep, that matter of fact, the Jews, I say we, but the Jews were commanded to keep. And then on top of that, all the commandments to keep and the right sacrifice to be made, God said, take Saturday off. Take a day of rest. Take a day where you don't have to be concerned about keeping these feasts. You have to keep the commandments, not that you're going to sin. But don't worry about the sacrifices that need to be made and just find rest in me. I mean, and that's the desire of the Lord, not that serving the Lord would be a burden, but we would truly take that time and set it apart and find rest. I've seen people in the church that haven't taken their Sabbath, and I'm not talking about a particular day, but I just mean rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. People who are so busy, they're busy with their family, and they're busy with their job, and then they're running around church just always so busy, and it's like, when do you sit down and find rest in the Lord? When do you sit down and just at the beginning of church, at the top of the hour, and just go into the congregation and lift your arms in the midst of the congregation and, and just enjoy him and just worship him? Just sit there and hear what he has to say because, again, the Bible, God's love letter to his people. But, again, we can get so caught up in the busyness and all of these things. Probably a great illustration would be Christmas, you know, this time of family and this time of gift giving. But we go insane trying to find the right gift and putting up with family and trying to get them together that all the joy gets sucked out of it. Well, all the joy can be lost in our relationship with Jesus Christ if we don't take that time just to rest and to enjoy him. It's kind of funny how there are even some Christian churches that'll shake their finger at us, telling us we ought not to be worshiping the Lord on Sunday, but we should be taking the Sabbath a Saturday. Well, the problem is they don't understand what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath was not so much a day of worship. The Sabbath was a day of rest. Every day is to be a day of worship, and it's not that you don't worship the Lord on that particular day, but that's a day that you rest and rejuvenate. I saw an uh, article in the paper in one of the cities in America where they have the longest living, um, the people live to the, to the oldest age is Loma Linda. Now, again, I would disagree with some of the things, the seven-day Adventist. Um, there's a lot of seven-day Adventists in Loma Linda, and I'm not going to speak bad about them, but they're one of the ones who believe in the Sabbath. 
But the idea is, is what they have found out, these people, they do take a day of rest. Now, for some, you remember if you're close to my age, remember on Sundays, like everything was closed? You know, maybe there was the 7-Eleven store and a gas station or two, but even most gas stations were closed on Sunday. Now today it's expected almost that you would work on Sunday, that you would give of your time. And you look at our, you look at our society today. Our, our society, we're a commuting society. As housing gets, you know, you kind of look at L.A. as the center and concentrically out from that, it gets more and more expensive, it seems like, until you get to a certain point, and then it gets more and more cheaper because it's so far away. And so we become this commuting colony almost, and that we're getting up before dark or before light and, and we travel get to work work all day get back and it's dark again go to sleep and give up and do it over again and some of us are working on Saturdays and even some of us are working on Sundays and it just gets to be insane and God is saying when do you take the time to not only enjoy life I mean God because I think a big part of enjoying God is enjoying life and what I mean by enjoying life enjoying the family that he's given you enjoying the things that he has blessed you with to enjoy your home. Don't make a God out of your home, but do enjoy your home. And enjoy the blessings that God has bestowed upon you. Because when we're going crazy in all these things, we become slave to these things, and then all of a sudden, just the joy has completely gone out of life. And so this holy convocation of a Sabbath, it was to be different. It was to be a day of rest, but also it was to be a day of fellowship and gathering with the Lord and just recognizing the Lord and the goodness of the Lord. Again, resting from, well, again, you can look at the 613 commandments, but just everything that was necessary uh, to continue on in life and continue in obedience, but also to enjoy that day of rest. And it's interesting that God told them the penalty that was to be given if you didn't celebrate the Sabbath, it was the death penalty, and it's kind of still holds today. If not that we're going to stone anybody, we we stopped doing that a while ago because the offering went down. But it's the idea is if you don't do this, there's going to be a death, more of a spiritual death than anything else. But there's going to be damage done to your physical being, and so we need to see as God has placed such an importance on this, we need to place an importance on the things that God considers to be important. And so here we have in this particular psalm, we have the heart of a person who longs and desires to find his rest in the Lord. And it's again, it's the same today for those who are tired and the world and all of its busyness. We've got these impeachment things going on and the rant and raving that's behind all of that. And just to find rest in the Lord, to be reminded, you know, it seems like things are always spinning out of control. Well, God's got it. God's in control of all of these things. And sometimes we just need to stop and to remember the mighty hand of our Lord who controls all of these things. We've got the global, I don't think they call it global warming anymore. They changed it to climate change. But regardless, whether it's true or not, we need to be good stewards of our environment. There's no doubt about it. But this world is not going to end one day short of when God desires for it to end. Mankind can be so arrogant thinking that we can destroy the world. You cannot destroy the world beyond the will of God. 
and God's in control of this. Again, we need to be good stewards. There's no doubt about it, but we can be so arrogant at times thinking that we can supersede God. And so, as I stated before, it's even necessary, and sometimes we'll even tell somebody, you need to take a rest from even service. Your your service after a period of time, it's no longer really serving God. It's just more doing than it is serving. Because if you're not recognizing the one whom you are doing these things for, that's true service. But when you don't recognize the one you're doing it for any longer, then again, you're not serving, you're doing. So this is a song of the Sabbath, and I want to look at it as the song of the Christian Sabbath as well. Again, from the standpoint of a right relationship. A pattern on how to prepare your heart before entering in to personal fellowship with the Lord. Now we are in a personal relationship with the Lord. But do you spend time fellowshipping with the Lord? There's a greater intimacy. It's taking it up a notch. There's a greater intimacy with that. My wife and I, we are in a relationship. We sleep in the same bed. We get up in the morning. We're in the same house. We run in the family and all of that things that can constitute a relationship. We communicate with one another. But then there are times when we spend, go out on a date night or just, you know, sit there and have a discussion, whatever it might be, where we have fellowship. And it's the fellowship time that are truly the intimate times. Well, are you taking those times to have intimacy with your Lord through a time of fellowship? So a pattern on how to prepare your heart before entering into that personal fellowship with the Lord. Now, again, concerning this concept of the Sabbath, Paul, in his letter to Colossians, kind of straightened it all out for us. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, Let no one judge you in food or in drink, what kind of food is clean and unclean and all of that, or regarding a festival and what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to be, or a new moon or Sabbaths. He says those things, verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. And so the substance of all of these feasts and everything, and we studied that as we went through the book of Leviticus, we saw that all of those feasts all pointed towards the coming Messiah. And the Sabbath pointed towards the coming Messiah, that we now have rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, before it was keeping 613 commandments, thinking I could be right with God, but I would fail. It's like trying to put your finger in the holes in the dikes, and there kept, keeps coming more holes, and you run out of fingers sooner or later. Well, here, no longer do we have to concern ourselves about that. Jesus has paid the price, and we've entered into what Christ has already done, and we are able to have or find rest for our souls because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meditate upon these things, dwell upon these things, and as you do, you'll find a peace in the midst of it as you celebrate a Sabbath, a personal Sabbath, if you will, time of rest with the Lord. So we're going to look at this psalm from three different points of view, three ways of understanding our rest in God. First, we're going to see who we are, verses 1 through 4. Secondly, who we are not, verses 5 through 9. And then thirdly, what we are to become because of him, verses 10 through 15. Now again, as a backdrop to this section of Scripture, it's interesting to see how the Lord has orchestrated the compiling of these 10 chapters, starting with Psalm 90. Because what 
proceeds after that bear what's called orphan psalms. Orphan psalms, psalms that there's no author that is spoken of. Very possible that the author is Moses. He's the last one who's spoken of in Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And so that makes sense because the pattern that we've looked at before, it follows through. As you look at the end of one psalm, that last verse, it leads directly into the first verse of the next psalm. And so looking at these things, that's very possible. Not that that really matters, but what we really see here throughout all of this is a reminder that this is God who is ultimately the author. And as we open the Bible, every time we study the Bible, as we're reminded that it is God is the author, this is God speaking to his people. It's not God who has spoken to his people, meeting them where they used to be. It's meeting us where we are here tonight. And it's the great thing about God's word. It's relevant to every society and every time. And as we're reminded of this, God, because you're here, maybe sitting at home on the internet, whatever it might be, but God's got a message for you. God's got a word for you that is unique to you and unique to your life. And you know what? If God told us to work harder, probably tomorrow most of us will go and do that and work harder. Well, tonight's God saying, take it easy. Stop working and rest. Sit down, rest. Commune with me. Have that ear to hear what I have to say to you tonight or maybe what I have been trying to say to you, but in the midst of all of your busyness, you haven't heard. Because this is one of the greatest things that I've experienced in my religious life. Because in my religious life, it was all about the religion and thou shalts and thou shalt nots and all of those things. And it was this big quagmire that I could never really wrap my mind around. And then I remember the day of salvation or what's referred to in Revelation chapter 2 as first love. The, The day when I understood what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. And, and to be able to start unloading all of that stuff and to find rest and to find peace in Jesus Christ. Today, I need to be reminded of that because I can allow myself to be overburdened. I can allow myself to become too busy and got to get this done, even in doing the work of ministry, especially this time. It's a busy time of the year, but ultimately it's not dependent upon me. If I drop dead today, guess what? Somebody will be here Sunday morning. We're still, if I die, we're still having service, the next service that's scheduled. And we're still going to have Christmas, and it's still going to be good. Might even be better. You never know. You know, it, it just, it's not dependent upon any. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ because, you know, what did he tell Peter? It's upon this rock, Jesus speaking of himself, that I will build my church. And so if the church that is built upon Mike is going to flounder and fall, the church that is built upon Jesus Christ is going to prevail. And so in these orphan psalms, it doesn't, doesn't matter who the author is the agency through whom the Lord worked through. The fact of the matter is it is the Lord, the Lord's message to his people. And each of them is dedicated to the glorification of God and who he is. So once again, notice the last verse of chapter 91 could very well be the first verse of the chapter that we're looking. And if you would go through the next 10 chapters, you'll see that it works the same with all of the Psalms. Not even just previous Psalm, but the last verse of every Psalm fits together with the first verse of every Psalm as well. So verse 16, with a long life, now I'm in 
in Psalm 91, with a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And then the response, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name or most high. Or you can go back to 90 and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Response, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O most high. Uh, I mean, just pick out anything. And I'm just going to look at Psalm 97, just randomly. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks to the remembrance of his holy name. It is good, verse 1 of 92, to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, uh, your most high. So all of these things just all fit together. And so you can take Psalm 98, the last verse, and connect it to 92 verse 1 or connect it with 95 verse 1. And I don't even know what they are, but I guarantee you it's all going to fit together. And it's as if somebody with some sort of divine intelligence, put all this together. And why has he done that? He's done that so you would sit there and say, wow, it's an amazing thing that God does. Wow, there, there, there's really something, there's something about his word. Now, you could also say it's because it's of all of Moses, but we don't know that. It could be, they all could be all different authors. The only one we're told of Moses is, is Psalm 90, but we also know it's all of the Lord. And so these things, I think God puts them there. And when you see these little kind of amazing little subtextual things, God puts them there because he just simply wants to get your attention. He wants you to hear what he has to say to you tonight. So first, who we are, verses 1 through 4. It's a psalm for the Sabbath day, as I said before. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. There are two types of people, generally speaking, who are most difficult to be around. The people who are always wanting praise. They're always desiring to praise, wanting a pat on the back, and after a while it just becomes tiresome. And the second type of person is the one who's always seeking to praise you. After a while you're wondering, what do they really want, and when is that slap on the back going to have a knife in it? Well, the reason that these two people are irritating is because they're perverting praise. It's not the proper use of praise. We're to give our praise to God. We're not to give our praise to a man behind a pulpit or a worship team, we are to direct our praise to our holy God because he is the one who has saved us. He's the one who has given us a word and the, either worship or, or pastor just to be a conduit for the word. And, and so Jesus, one of his knocks against the Pharisees of his day, one of his, his complaints against them, John chapter 12, verse 43, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, they, they, when it says here they loved the praise of men, they were desiring it more than the people giving praise to God. They were intercepting, if you will, that praise that was to be given to God. They wanted it for themselves to such a degree when Jesus came. And I really believe that those who crucified Christ, the Pharisees of the day, the leaders of the day, I believe they knew, at least they had a strong inkling, that he was the Messiah but then they realized that he was vulnerable and they realized that they could take him out of the way because pride would not allow them to submit themselves to him. 
And so this being the case, you would think that the psalmist would use stronger language than he does. Again, in verse 1, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. And you would think, well, isn't it glorious? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it awesome? Well, the reason it is good is because what we have already received in return. Where have you seen it is good before? Well, obviously, you could, I'm sure, many places in the Bible, but you've got to go back to the beginning. What was said in Genesis 1, 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31, the creation of the Lord, God looked at him. What did he say? It's good. It's good. All things that God does is, is good. And that good, it encompasses so much. It's not just an off-the-cuff term. It, it, it encompasses purity. It encompasses rightness. And when it's attached to God, it encompasses holiness. And we need to see that God, for God to be good, is just, it's how he relates to us. Matter of fact, the Anglo-Saxon term, God, means the good. And so God, he's been absolutely good to us. And have you ever just, you know, we can say that in passing, could have just read it and moved on. But tonight, when you go home, I imagine most of us are going to bed. When you're laying there, just contemplate that how has God been good to you and then contemplate the magnitude of the goodness and how he has been towards you and dwell upon the goodness the absolute goodness of God set aside the complaining set aside the wants and all of those things and just focus upon again we're having fellowship with God and just focus upon how good he has been and how good he continues to be Look at verse 4. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. But if it was just creation, we would not be as motivated in our prayers. If I was created for the fuel, fuel to be fuel for the fires of hell, why praise him? We praise him for his creation, the goodness there. But also we praise him for the goodness of his recreation as he has recreated us, as we have become born again. I've seen the value, and I mean, it kind of sounds like funny to see the value, and that of course you do, but just in real life, just receiving the call from Linda tonight, Kalinowski with her mother Josie, soon to pass away, more than likely, and I'm just thinking, as sad as it is, and can hear Linda's broken heart, she's saved. She's going to be absent from the body, and she's going to be present with the Lord. Denise, a member of our church, I did the funeral yesterday for her father, they're at Rose Hills, and it was kind of cool. I, I, I don't know how many of them were believers, but the majority of them were. And there's just something special about a funeral like that because you just see the goodness of God in that. Hurry, Jerry, hurry! <laughs> it's all right. And so we praise him for that because it's then, during a time like that, that we're talking about a man who is in the presence of God. And so I, I look over there, and, and there's his wife. And his, they have been married for 60-some years. And his wife has got a smile on her face, and she's just rejoicing. Now, she was mourning as well, but she was rejoicing because she knows where her husband is. And she knows that one day where he is, she will be there also. And it's all connected with, with the goodness of God. And it's why we praise him, because even the worst thing that could happen to anybody, death, God's overcome that. Isn't he good? 
He's very good. Charles Spurgeon says, The praise of God is good. Ethically, it is the right of God to be praised. Emotionally, it is pleasing to the heart. And it is good practically. If you live a life of praise, others will follow. How has the deceiver perverted praise? He has set before us objects of praise that are other than God that cater to the flesh. You, know, you see sports people, entertainers, politicians, even self, whoever it might be, but we have to take that time. We can even fall in love and be praising a church or a ministry or whatever it might be. There's only one who is worthy of our praise, and he is the one who has created all that we see, and he is the one who has caused us to become born again. In Revelation 19.20 it says, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. But we will forever be with the Lord. When is the best time to dedicate ourselves to praise? Well, we're told in verse 2 to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Now, I, I don't take these as commands and that you have to do this and you have to do that. I take this as a natural flow of our desire to praise God. And so the idea is to declare your loving kindness in the morning is to set your day into the hands of a loving God. It's to dedicate your day into the will of the Lord. What is, Lord, what do you desire of me today? Now, on my phone I have a schedule that you know things to do and I, I I really like doing lists and what I've been doing lately is I've been dedicating that list to the Lord because I can kind of become over the top with the list that I got to get these things checked off today or I got to get these things checked off in order and every time I check one off there's a little woohoo that goes with it and, and if I can't do it and I, I it can be frustrating and then all of a sudden Where's the joy? Where, where's the, you got a little too serious about this list, Mike. Where's God in all of this? What if God's got things that he has for you that aren't on the list? What if he wants to reorder the list? And so it's just to set your day right before the sight of a loving God. He loves you and is already into the day that, and preparing that day for you. God inhabits eternity. So right now, God is existing in your tomorrow, preparing the day. And as I've said before, you tomorrow will be entering into what God has already set for you. See, that's the confidence that we have that nothing that happens tomorrow is going to take God by surprise. All things will work together for the good because he who is good is in the midst already of working out your day. And so start your day in prayer, start your day in the word. And then at night, dedicate yourself to praise him for his faithfulness. Spend a little time taking a Sabbath for fellowshipping with the Lord at night. This is to review your day with God and be reminded of his hand in all that went on. Adoration through acknowledgement, to worship the Lord and just to go back and to count your blessings, to look at the hard things or maybe the trial as it continues to go on, but to be reminded that God is in the midst of the storm. He's led you into it, he's going to lead you through it, and he's going to take you out of it. And just to go through these things and to just to be reminded of the goodness of God, that he has given me that day as hard maybe as it was as a gift. And again, to be prepared for the next day. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. Now notice Paul says, I've learned. And so you have somebody the status of Paul, and this is something he has learned. What did he learn? I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's from a man who communes with God. Verse 3, on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. Our praise to the Lord, it speaks here of a balance. Let out all the stops and accentuate yourself with worship on instruments. That's a good thing. It's good to have praise and to be loud and to be excited, but also is to have a harmonious sound. Harmonious sound, that speaks, speaks to me, and, and it really is the definition of the word, but a soft, quiet, intimate meditation involving instruments. But most of all, in the midst of it all, see, we can involve instruments, we can just involve voices, we can involve contemporary music or traditional music, but the most important thing to involve in the midst of all of that is your heart and your soul. I mean... I can worship God. It doesn't matter the music. I, I at the convalescent home, I uh, downloaded on iTunes. Um, it was like a, it was a hundred. It was a hundred hymns because they can people at the convalescent home. Most of them are quite a bit older than I am. They really like hymns, and so I downloaded hymns, and they were like 1940 hymns. And I would play them, and the people were worshiping. I thought, okay, they like them. You know, it's, it's good. You know, kind of looking at my audience and making the evaluation, meeting them right where they're at with the hymns and all that. About the fourth time, one of the ladies spoke up and said, can we have something a little peppier next week? <laughs> they gave their heart to what was there, but also, you know, just across the board. You know, we can so look at that, well, you know, it's got drums and that's not right. You know, it needs to have an organ or it's got a guitar, you know, whatever it might be. You know, worship, worship is just simply coming for the, it's just that avenue in which we reach through into the throne room of God. And, and the thing about it is you have to be of the mindset that I'm here and I'm going to be led. I don't care if it's a traditional hymn. I don't care if it's a contemporary song. It, to me, it just simply doesn't matter because I make the conscious decision that God is in this and he is going to lead me. And as he leads me, I am going to worship him. Secondly, who we are not, verses 5 through 9. O oh Lord, how great are your works, your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O oh Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered." Two categories of mankind who does not know nor do they understand what's going on. A senseless man and a fool. This does not mean that the person is not smart. It doesn't mean that they're of low IQ, but his smarts have overridden his common sense. Common sense Common sense, you know, it's kind of a term that has kind of devaluated what that means, but common sense is what has been given to us by God. And even our common sense is to be used to glorify God. 
But we're told in Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And if you look throughout the scriptures, 99.9% of the time, the fool, the fool is the one who refuses to acknowledge God. And you can look at some of the greatest people who have said no to God. Even some of them have acknowledged God, but didn't have a relationship with God. Men such as Albert Einstein, Ben Franklin, Charles Darwin, Sigmund Freud, Stephen Hawking, and the list goes on and on and on. Men who were educated beyond their ability to have intelligence. It starts with a humble spirit. It has to, our, our learning needs to start with a humble spirit and the recognition of God and who God is. Where did we get the word university? Keep in mind that our universities, when they were established, most of them, almost all of them, were established, the older ones, they were established as seminaries. And university, a compound word that is almost kind of in contrast to one, almost an oxymoron in a way, uni and versity. And what the idea was throughout all of these studies of ologies, biology, geometry, um, math, and just all of these studies are unified under the knowledge of God. It was through the knowledge of God that man was able to understand. What has happened is man's came to a greater understanding, at least thinking he has. He's pushed God out of the equation, and now he makes all of his evaluations apart from the knowledge of God. Matter of fact, he willfully chooses to ignore God, doesn't even consider God when making his determinations, and we're experiencing the results today of such a society. And then thirdly, what we are to be because of him. Verses 10 through 15. <clears throat> but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. When horn here, the idea is my strength you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. I have been refreshed in my life. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. Now keep in mind who our enemies are. Put it in context for the church today. Who are our enemies it's not that person who you don't get along who is sitting behind you or beside you or whatever. It, it, your enemies are you. I mean, it, it, it's your flesh, it's the world, and it's the devil. Keeping it in that mind, my eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Three things that we are because of God. Verses 12 and 13, we are growing stronger every day growing stronger as we study, as we enjoy, as we read, to acknowledge the good work that God does in our lives. And as we increase in the knowledge of God, we see more clearly the hand of God. We're not growing physically stronger here on earth every day, but we grow stronger spiritually in the courts of our God, in the house of our Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, <clears throat> yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Secondly, verse 14, they shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Notice you may be old and wrinkling, 
but the fruit you produce will be fresh. And so that's the beauty of serving the Lord and continuing to serve the Lord even into our older age. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And then lastly, verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Our witness and testimony will be sure until the end because he is forever sure. We serve a God who never changes. And then on top of all of that, one day he is going to call all of us unto himself and we're going to be in heaven. And we are truly going to understand what an eternal rest is in the Lord. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, Apostle John, when he's been giving that glimpse of heaven, says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands. And with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength, honor, and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worship him who lives forever and ever that is going to be our eternity I pray that we have a passion for that I pray that we have a passion for that even right now I pray that we have a passion for that. Even as we read that in this heavenly choir, we have an opportunity for choir practice in this last song here tonight. That you would sing like you're saved. That you would sing it out based upon all the good things that God has done. Being able to sit here for the last 45 minutes digging into God's word and having this little miniature Sabbath with him, this time of rest that we're able to push away all the distractions and focus upon the goodness. Take those things home. Continue to meditate upon them. Meditate on how God has been good to you. But before you do that, sing out in praises to he who has done so much in your life and continues to do so. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, you are good. You're good and your mercy endures forever. And because of that, I pray, Lord, that we truly would sing out in this song. I pray, Father, that we would truly have a song in our hearts, Lord, just uh, every, every moment. And so, Father, we just thank you again that you have given us your word and that it meets us in this particular, it meets us in all areas, but tonight we focused upon this one area. I pray, Lord, that you would make these things real and practical in the lives of everyone who hears this message. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. We all stand, please.